nicknamed Nervous or just called Nervous, Nervos. Uh, this is the Arts Report on CITR uh, 101.9 FM, broadcasting to you from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. I'm your host, Jake Clark. You probably already knew that. Uh, what you most likely did not already know, if you did, you are alarmingly well-informed, uh, is that I am joined in studio today by Megan Bell to talk about the Growing Room Festival, which is an annual feminist literary festival taking place, um, among other places, at the, our beloved Redgate Arts Center. The Redgate Review Red Stage. Redgate Review Stage. On Granville Island. That's a different, that is an entirely different venue. Yes. <laughs> I've actually been confused about that a couple of times, thanks to Google Maps. I, yeah, I think so, that they, the Redgate just changed their name. It just used to be the review stage, so I think... That's right, yeah, it did, so yeah. I think that's part of the confusion. It changed um, from it being arts club owned to um, being run by, I think, a collective. Um, but yes, most of the events are at the Redgate review stage on Granville Island. Um, as well, there are two at UBC, one which is sold out, two panels at UBC, um, and several events at the Native Education College, Massey Books, the Annex Theater. So this is all around, it's obviously. All around. <laughs> mostly focused on the Red, on the red, red Gate. Yeah. It's like the Gold Corp stage, because there's the Gold Corp at SFU as well. Yeah. And Google Maps continues to throw a spanner in the works for that all the yeah, time. Yeah, I think there's more than one Gold Corp stage. But just so we're hammering it in, that's the re- <laughs> the former review stage, now the Red Gate review stage. Yes. And to give us some idea of what's going on there, among other places, can you unpack Growing Room for us? Oh, God. Um... Elevator pitch. <laughs> So Growing Room is a 10-day feminist literary festival um, taking place in venues all over um, Vancouver, the unceded um, territories of the Squamish, um, Tsleil-Waututh, and Musqueam people. Um, And uh, we are having, I believe, there's 14 workshops. um, So workshops that... um, creative writing workshops, but um, focused on a variety of other topics as well. Uh, We have 41 panels and readings, all of which are pay what you can or free to attend. Nice. Yeah. Um, And again, those are kind of scattered across the city, so you can look it up and find one near your house and it's convenient for you. There's a pretty extensive number of people involved in this. Like, there's some familiar names for Um, me. So we have over 100 authors in the festival. Um, including about, oh my God, between something like 20 coming in from out of town. More than that, I'm sorry. I should have memorized all the numbers before. Oh, believe, on this. believe me. If I, if I nailed people for not memorizing things about shows, I would be the biggest hypocrite in the book. I've had programs in front of me and been unable to name start and finish dates. I know. It's like people ask you a question and it's all the information just falls out of your head. Um, well, in but, my case, I improv about Post Malone for 20 minutes. That seems to work. Um, so some of the names um, that are joining us include Heather O'Neill, so author of... Um, Lullabies for Little Criminals and oh, really? among others. Yeah. Uh, Carrie Ann Leung's coming, Kim Fu, Eden Robinson, um, Katharina Vermette will be in the festival, Alicia Elliott. So some fairly sizable names. Oh, yeah. Like it's, it's th- packed. Ivan Coyote. Like, you could just keep going. I don't know who that is, but that guy just sounds pretty impressively named. Ivan is amazing. Like, that's a superhero name right there. I, and Ivan is a superhero, so now two a names, superhero name for a superhero person. Well, three names we were very interested to see was, uh, on my part, was Amber Dawn and Dina Delbuchia, yeah. uh, both members of UBC Creative Writing. I've actually had Professor Delbuchia for a class, uh, and I've read Amber Dawn's uh, book, Poetry Saved My Life. Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's like, uh, that. That's that's there's some intense moments in that book. Like, there's some pretty vivid yeah. Uh, moments about you know living as a sex worker and the the, uh, the the let's just say very very lightly the roughness of that. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. Well it's, as, a, it's a very poignant book and it's beautifully written. Um, her latest novel also is really like really incredible. It's um this like erotic ghost story um, that takes place um, in this uh, former amusement park town in the eighties and it's called Sodom Road Exit, which is apparently a real exit, um, which is just incredible. Just it's yeah. like um, that sign. Um, it reminds me like that sign is at the like however many miles to hope that BC that Blue Rodeo wrote a song <laughs> about. It was like um, road interesting or like funnily named road signs as inspiration is something I find kind of charming. That, that sign. I don't know. Uh, it's like 
I don't know what the right word is. It's like gets me in the heart <laughs> somehow. I heard that that the sign to hope. I, this is a joke I've heard is that that sign is an inherent misnomer because it points in the direction of the luet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, I I don't know if that's true at all, but uh, like um, how how best and there's also Andrea Warner who was actually mm-hmm. on the front of uh, Discorder a little while back. Oh yeah, um, she'll she's um in several events um with her new book like that um. On Buffy, Buffy St. Marie? On Buffy St. Marie, yes. Yeah. I'm calling it the Buffy bio book, but that is not the title of it's the a great book. Al- it's a great alliteration, though. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, the, um, the um, biography of Buffy St. Marie, which is another book that I own and is incredible and everyone should read it. There is, we were watching in, actually in CITR, we saw a movie called Rumble a little while back about uh, First Nations people in music, particularly rock music. And uh, Buffy St. Marie was interviewed in it. And it was really interesting because she had people shutting down her concerts quite a bit. Really? Uh, in the 60s, yeah. Because she would be billed to perform with Joan Baez or Joni Mitchell or I think Bob Dylan at one point. And they would have people calling and saying, you got to get her off the roster. Oh, I, I'd, I'd say. And so they said, they said no, the my language warning here, but they said, get this Indian off the show at one oh point. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, oh. I, I'm not familiar with that. Is it documentary? Uh, Rumble. Rumble. Yeah, Rumble. Yeah. Uh, yes. It was a good documentary. It was very interesting because I, I did know it was about, like, Link Ray. They explained. I didn't know Link Ray. I did know um, Charlie Patton. For anybody who's familiar with Jack White probably knows who he is, was half. It's an interesting but, documentary. I was going to say, I don't know enough about music to comment here. It's, but it, it's, it's cool stuff. Would recommend it. But, you know, speaking of, like, performances, our opening night party. Bringing it back um, around. Yeah, sorry. Our opening night party, and also speaking of indigenous performers, our opening night party um, is a dance party um, with, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce this. I apologize for any words I mispronounce. Um... I do not have a good ear, and I mispronounce words all the time. Um, uh, Virago, Virago Nation, Virago Nation. Um, Virago Nation. Thank you. <laughs> um, which is um, an indigenous um, burlesque group. Yeah, they um, did Night Shift at MOA last yeah, year. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And then with music by um, DJ Kukum. So that's going to be at the Fox Cabaret on International Women's Day, March 8th. Tickets are $15. It's going to be a really fun, like dance party with really cool people um we will have if i remember to email the fox about this in the next week we will hopefully have hilariously named feminist themed drinks <laughs> that you can buy and like what kind of stuff there like um, uh I'm trying to remember what um, we've had i think we've had like Simone drinks called Beauvoir. like the feminist yeah oh nice that's better <laughs> than ours i think it's gonna be like we had a drink called the feminist killjoy <laughs> And things like that. That's I, I, I would say work work on the marketing there yeah, a little no, bit. Maybe, yeah. I think yours is better. Ap- Ap- <laughs> Simone de Beauvoir. Think about it. I don't know how she'd feel about it. But hey, uh, consider, considering what I do know about Simone de Beauvoir and Albert Eva and um, Jean-Paul Sartre's relationship, there's a bit of moral high ground there. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you hear about her students? No. Allegedly, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre had several affairs with Simone de Beauvoir's students when oh. she was a teacher at a ghoul, girls' school um, with, with Mr. Beauvoir's uh, consent and encouragement. I don't know. Uh, that is some hearsay on my part. But I do not know what, anything about this story. I have a low enough opinion of Jean-Paul Sartre sounds... to think that's probably true. Yeah, that um, probably is true. I feel like any time – not any time well, – those stories often are true. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's a whole <laughs> lot of things about that. Actually, going into the verbiage, there is one thing I do kind of want to go into about this because yeah. uh, a lot of people, especially in online discourse, tend to use feminist as a pejorative and um, m- a very monolithically pejorative term, which is not really accurate to the discourse, evidently, because there's a lot of opinions within feminism. And I'm not really qualified to touch on that because <laughs> – look and or listen to, look at and or listen to me but um there are a lot of people who have that view uh this very unilateral view of feminism i think yeah um what, what would you say to them in reference to this to sort of maybe get them to well uh identifying as a feminist really just means that at its core, that you believe that men and women are equal and should have equal access to opportunities and should have equal rights, um, which is not the case in the world we 
currently live in or have ever historically lived in, um, at least in, um, if, you know what, I don't know enough about history. I take that back. There might have been some cultures where gender equality was better, but certainly in recent history, it has not been great. But um, there's a lot of different things that people mean by feminist, and it's not monolithic. It's not one group. It's not... You know, you can ask me what I mean by it, and you could ask another person what they mean by it, and they could give dramatically different answers. Um, to me, I identify as a feminist because I believe that everyone should be treated equally and that everyone should have equal opportunities. Um, I identify as a socialist for the same reasons. And um, the type of feminism that I personally like subscribe to um, is intersectional feminism, which of course is uh, trans-inclusive. Um, yeah, dis- which you know I bring up because a lot of people call themselves feminists and aren't, and I I would argue that they are not real feminists, but they still use the word. So, <laughs> so so not not a very ter- pro turf opinion here. Yeah, I don't like turfs. <laughs> There's uh, I don't like turfs, and I don't like um, swerfs. The swerfs sex work exclusive oh, radical. Oh, same, yeah. same looping same, back around to Amber Dawn. Yeah, same same hatred targeted to a different group. <laughs> or not the same hatred. Hatred, yeah. Well, sometimes, sometimes More there's bullshit. anger there. Oh, am I allowed to swear? I'm sorry. You are now. <laughs> Con- oh, we are, I, I, I do think it is bullshit that we can't swear on, you know, an, altern- an alternative com- community radio station, but... That just, slipped, that just slipped out. I'm sorry. And yeah, no, we're fine. Uh, there, there may be swearing ahead, um, but uh, I apologize for my filthy mouth. I mean, t- believe me, we're, we're not. We're not. We, we, we've gone to some weird areas on the show without profanity. So again, I improved on Post Malone for 20 minutes. Okay. Like I don't know if that's more or less demeaning to listen to, but. Um, the thing that really strikes me is that in the discourse, I would say that uh, transphobia as a specific example is now where homophobia is about, what, 20, 30 years ago? Like, it's not fully condoned, but it's reasonably okay to be a transphobe in a lot of circles. Yeah. Because it's not very well understood, I would say. And in that, would you say that that is um, indicated in the direction of I, I'm talking somewhat as in, in the organization of events like, like Growing Room, but also in the discourse at large. Um, you know, I really am not, I don't think I have enough experience to answer that. Um, with Room, um, we're very fortunate to be part of a community that is very accepting, very intersectional, and very generous and very kind. And we are, you know, we're a trans-inclusive literary magazine. We publish trans women, we publish trans men, we publish people who are non-binary and genderqueer, two-spirit, the whole branch of identities. Um, And, of course, we include uh, people of all genders in our festival. And um, I, I feel like we're in a little bit of a bubble because we don't actually get a lot of negative feedback about that. We occasionally do, and we usually just kind of... Uh, depending on our mood, um, either lecture the person or ignore it. Um, but um, at Growing Room, we really want it to be a safe space, and that's one of our biggest priorities is ensuring that all of our authors, all of our volunteers, and all of the writers um, and readers and activists and just book lovers who are coming to the festival also feel safe. So, sorry, the authors and the audience. Um, and Everyone in the picture. Everyone, yeah. We, we want it to be a safe space. We want it to be a supportive environment. We want it to be a place where people feel comfortable talking about the most complicated aspects of their creative lives and how they like have to like fit in, in or how they fit in or don't fit in or how it works in this crazy, you know, neoliberal country that we're in. Um, so. Got nine days to figure that out. You know, it's, there's lots of events. Um, I honestly don't know, I don't know how to like sum up the festival. Um, 
If there's I one event a... that you have would say, just if, if you can only make one event, what would it be to you? Oh, my God, that's impossible. Um, top three. Top three? I can do top three. Uh, so on March 9th, we have a full day of programming um, uh, called Indigenous Brilliance. Um, so this is a spinoff of, or not a spinoff, sorry. This is a major event of part of our quarterly reading series, Indigenous Brilliance, which is um, coordinated um, by Jessica Johns, Jay Simpson, Patricia Massey, and Emily Dundas Oak. Um, and they've put together an incredible, like, full day of events on March 9th. Um, there's four readings. Uh, the authors who will be in it include, um, what was it? I'm just looking this up in the program. Sorry, Katharina Vermet, Eden Robinson. Uh, so we get more names here. Carol Rose Daniels, Denali Young-Wolf, Brandy Bird, Emily Riddle, Joanne Arnott, Samantha Nock. It's going to be incredible. Uh, the second event, whew, you're making this hard. Um, I'm going to say the closing event. Uh, we're doing a keynote um, at Big Rock Vancouver Brewery. Uh, it includes your ticket price includes breakfast. There will be gluten-free and vegetarian options. Gluten-free at a brewery. Well, the beer is not gluten-free, but there's food I, I, that's gluten-free. I'm just enjoying the irony. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but um, and you know, it's just it's a breakfast buffet. You come, you sit, you can buy a beer. It's also um, on March 17th, which is St. Patrick's Day. I am assuming the beer will not be green, but I do not know that for a fact. Um, but um, the keynote speaker is Kinesia Lubrin, who is, is an incredible poet um, and writer and activist and thinker. Um, her book of poetry, like Voodoo Hypothesis, is just absolutely beautiful. Um, and she's coming in from Toronto and doing this closing keynote. And I do think that's going to be one of the highlights. Um, the other, oh, God, you're making this so hard for me to pick a third. Um, Hmm. Uh, we're doing a book launch for um, a collection called um, Whatever Gets You Through, uh, edited by Jen Suk Fong Lee, which is um, 12 essays about um, surviving sexual assault. Oh, uh, so we have several of the um, readers or the contributors from that anthology will be reading at the festival on March 16th, um, the Native Education College. And I think that's going to be a really powerful event. Um, Sounds like it. I haven't had a chance to read the anthology yet, but I'm familiar with the work, the contributors, and I know Jen, and I th I'm sure it's an absolutely beautiful book. Sounds sounds like a very, certainly a very powerful narrative, certainly a very relevant narrative. Yeah. <laughs> that is Growing Room Festival. That's predominantly at the review stage, but you can find it most likely at a location near you. Yeah. Um, Megan, it was lovely to have you in the studio. We're going to take a quick PSA break, and then we shall return with, an in, with a second interview. It's a real treat today with Olivia Davies, who will be bringing her show Gadashi. I really assume I'm pronouncing that correctly, to Vancouver International Dance Festival. Uh, we'll see you in a couple minutes. Uh, I'm still Jay Clark. This is still, CIT, still CITR. And, uh, well, BRB. I don't do acronyms. This week. Where should I go, Daddy? What should I say? Where should I go? Is it okay with CITR and Timber Concerts present Cherry Glazer on tour to support their upcoming new release, Stuffed and Ready. See them live Friday, March 8th at the Rickshaw Theatre with special guests Pale Hound. Tickets are available online and at Red Cat Main Street, Red Cat Hastings, and Zulu Records. CITR and Discorder's favorite time of year, Fun Drive. Join us at the kickoff party this Thursday, February 28th, at the Hatch Art Gallery, with performances by None of the Above, The Swill Merchants, and UBC Improv. You can get tickets for $5 in advance every day at noon at the station, or sliding scale at the door. Plus, bring cash for amazing raffle prizes donated by UBC Players Club, the Museum of Anthropology, thecalendar.ca, and so many more campus clubs and organizations. You can check out all of this year's fun drive prizes and or donate at citr.ca slash donate.
and we're back live on air uh as as per usual um wouldn't that be great if we just were recording this whole time and we were just kind of perfectly done yep yep the, the microphones are all on i'm assuming you know it, it's kind of funny that it took me a while to get that right but we're kind of smooth sailing at this point breathe i need i need i need more exercise um it's you're still this is still citr i'm still jake clark this is still the arts report <laughs> Um, and I have been seamlessly joined by um, our correspondent, Lua Presidio, and Olivia's um, and Olivia Davies, who is bringing her show, as I mentioned before, Gidashi, to Vancouver International Dance Festival, which is coming up pretty soon. Olivia, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, Jake. I'm happy to be here. Um, now, I, I was I like to start the segments this way. Um, can you unpack Gidashi for us a little bit? The the show itself. Yeah, so, um, well, happy to tell you a little bit about uh, the show and the work that's gone into what will be presented on March 14th through the 16th at Vancouver International Dance Festival. And it's a collaboration between myself and another Indigenous artist by the name of Melissa Frost, who's from the Vinitgwitchin First Nation in Old Crow, Yukon. Uh, we met here in, I want to say it was 2016, and haven't had a chance to collaborate until this project came up on my radar this past, um, these past couple months. So what we're uh, trying to unravel, I guess, in our own experiences and then bringing it out onto the stage for audiences is a work that talks about our displacement from our home communities, what it means to be guests on the unceded Coast Salish territories as Indigenous women, as women who are engaged in ceremony and other kind of cultural practices, and how we find uh, the ways to kind of have that conversation amongst ourselves and then open that up to audience in a, in a performative way. So the work has a number of different layers. It's got a storytelling layer. It's got some dance, for sure. It is a dance festival, so we made sure there's some movement in there. Uh, beautiful sound yeah, score. Too. Yeah, yeah, beautiful sound score, including um, a piece of uh, symphony from, uh, what is it, Opus 36 by Gorecki, a really old piece uh, that kind of resurfaced in my playlist and inspired a lot of movement uh, around the lamentations of someone missing home, trying to find their way home. Um, yeah, the work is going to have a beautiful lighting design by Jonathan Kim, and the final sound designs uh, do include some uh, elements of uh, original work by Max Ulis, a uh, Vancouver-based promoter, DJ, music person all around. And, uh, and then finally, um, the words of uh, Melissa Frost. So her spoken word is both uh, recorded and then shared live. That's a very interesting topic to have because that's obviously a huge topic for, well, our very show starts with a notice that we are broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. Um, and that really does tie into concepts of home and, and displacement. I'm wondering, what is, the, what is home to you and how does that sort of come across here? How do you, how do you physicalize that? Yeah, so it's um, it's definitely a, a theme of my work as a as a dancer, as a choreographer, as someone who engages with community to investigate what this notion of home is, how we can find home in our bodies, how we can uh, find ourselves relative to our maybe our homelands, uh, being guests on uh, on other territories and other nations, and what that um, what that can do to kind of ground us in the present moment, um, knowing that we are for the most part, especially as Indigenous women, most of us are living in urban settings now. We're not out on the land or with our reserves. Um, so it's really a matter of finding that access to the same cultural protocols and, uh, and I guess, finding the stories and finding the maybe the knowledge keepers and the elders who do exist in the community that you're living in who can help you kind of navigate through that experience of uh, maybe feeling the disconnect uh, through the displacement. So what does that look like in Gadashi? Well, we're looking at uh, a couple different ways of finding ourselves at home in this relationship of two women coming together to share their experiences. Um, we look at creating a bit of a a home on our stage with uh, something that I'm, I'm just going to say resembles like a living room. 
yeah, we, we, we recreate a living room on the stage. And that becomes our home base. Um, other opportunities to uh, think about the idea of home come up with, um, with this introduction that we make to one another, where we place ourselves um, in relation to our matrilineage. So who is our great-great-grandmother, who is our great-grandmother, who is our grandmother, all the way down to who we are here today. That's interesting because at least in, well, uh, at least in a lot of uh, a lot of culture, matrilineal descent is, is, I don't know about silence necessarily, but certainly pushed aside, like naming conventions would reflect that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say definitely in the indigenous cultures of, of um, maybe my, my friends and colleagues here in North America, um, we're doing our best to to. Um, bring back and um, in some cases even rematriate what um, what that means to to have that lineage and to have that knowledge and understand how the generations seven before us were carrying the dreams of of us and how we are carrying the dreams of seven generations who will come after us seven seven what's the significance of that number seven generations has um, has sort of always been taught to me anyways as um, as the carrying of uh, of how as women we carry the seven generations who will come after us and we are the dreams of the seven generations who came before us huh yeah. that's really fascinating because um, I'm a Spanish descendant mm-hmm. um, my family moved to Brazil I'm from Brazil <laughs> a Spanish descendant my family moved to Brazil uh, fleeing politi- for political reasons but um, I recently reacquired my Spanish citizenship and they only actually count until the fourth generation. So I'm actually the last generation that gets to have that citizenship unless I move back to Spain and have my kids there. So it's um, interesting how that's like some some cultures will extend that even further. And I think it really depends on how in tune you are with one another. I feel that depending on the culture... um, there is this connection to older generations that, you know, I don't know. It's just mm. fascinating to me. And I um, I d- was wondering, like, how does that speak to what you're creating right now? Like, the differences. I'm not sure if there is something that will bring that up as well, like a cultural difference regarding that contact between generations. Um, I think if anything, we're talking, Melissa and I, uh, through this process, uh, about some of the similarities, really, in um, uh, in our in our indigeneity. Um, however, there's you know uh, probably a whole whole performance full of differences that we could explore as well. Yeah. With a sense of community, I suppose, because none of the three of the three people in this room, none of us are from Vancouver. I'd be correct <laughs> in saying that. And yet we are all here. We're all here, you know, here, here. It's very distinct. But, I mean, we're all here in this community in the greater sense of it. And for me, personally, one thing I see, because there's a lot of people who attend UBC from outside of catchment, both nationally and provincially and on a lot of scales. People come here from across a great breadth of place. And I kind of would be interested on in interested in eh, basic 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 English grammar still still kind of escapes me that's the concussions talking <laughs> um, I would be interested in sort of the formations of community either despite that or in the process of that I think there was a question there but I, again <laughs> basic English grammar um, do, you, do, do you think that you find a community or do you create one in, especially in this day and age when community is a very contentious and arguably fragmented concept. <laughs> I think it's a question. Um, I don't know. It's, I think it's, that's a very hard. I think maybe the answer might be both. And maybe through the performance, your, the performance you're choreographing right now, um, there might be an answer for that in there somewhere where you're exploring something along the like that question but I feel that the sense of home is very different from the sense of community as well hmm. yeah uh, if I understand the question of whether we create our community or we are invited into it is that sure let's go with that okay, <laughs> yeah. okay. yeah fair yes. enough um, well there's I mean there's definitely uh, various communities that I would 
say that I navigate through on a, on a daily basis. And um, there's the arts community, there's the indigenous arts community, um, then there's the basic levels of community who include my neighbors, um, the people I maybe pass on the bus every day. Um, so what are, what are the community um, members who would you know, perhaps find uh, some point of interest or intersection uh, with this work? Um, I can look at it as uh, a piece that is uh, really trying to unpack potentially some bigger issues than, than can all be unraveled in a 30-minute performance. Um, but there's definitely a sense that um, uh, the communities that Melissa and I move and navigate through, uh, which include you know, the Indigenous, the arts communities, as well as the broader community of Vancouver, um, that there might be a little bit of something for everybody um, in the piece, uh, because we are looking to uh, invite more questions and, and perhaps not necessarily leave people with answers. Uh, there's a moment where we um, actually invite audience to take part in a ceremony with us. And I think that that could probably um, be, be quite a generous invitation for, for a lot of folks who may feel like they don't have um, the ability or the right or, um, you know, the... Um, yeah, whatever it is, the confidence to um, to ask the question of whether uh, they are uh, welcome to attend, take part, witness, um, or support as an ally. That's an interesting, because that is, a, would say, a common thing that deters participation in a lot of things. Mm. Not necessarily recognition, but participation, which mm-hmm. is where it counts. I, I do want to kind of touch on the invitation to the ceremony, because dance is kind of... I, I would say, as somebody who is not a dance specialist here, or the, even the dance specialist in the room, uh, by any means, an extralingual form of performance. And by that token, do you think that this approaches questions that would otherwise be hard to iterate? Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I really believe that in, um, in where we've uh, achieved a certain level of um, what equates um, a dance performance, uh, perhaps today in, in 2019, um, is very different from what uh, that definition was maybe 20, 30 years ago um, in terms of many different choreographers who are pushing the boundaries and blurring the lines between performance art and, um, and a straight-up dance with silent dancers and just a music uh, soundscape to, uh, to keep them animated. Um, I look to a mentor, Lara Kramer, who's doing really incredible work out in Montreal. She's an OG free choreographer who's really, really pushing the boundaries and uh, extending an invitation to audiences to witness uh, moments and that those moments do include um, very pregnant pauses and stillnesses and silences that could potentially leave you, leave you feeling a little bit uncomfortable and that, that's, that, that's, that there's an invitation to that. Um, I, I say that as, um, you know, in, in kind of looking back towards Gadashi and the invitation to ceremony that we present to our audiences in the work is, um, is quite maybe the opposite. It's, uh, it's meant to pe- make people feel a little bit more comfortable, like they can take uh, a, piece of the, a piece of the piece away with them and, um, and walk away feeling like their, their wishes might actually go answered as opposed to unanswered. That's, an, that's compelling, <laughs> certainly. And that's, uh, well then. So that's, that's Gadashi, certainly. Now, I, I do want to say this because you've mentioned uh, Miss Kramer as an influence. If Obviously, check out Gadashi. If there's one other show you've seen that is in Vancouver International Dance Festival, like if you got to see two shows, it's Gadashi and what other one? Hmm. I'm going to say two others. Because they're they're longtime um, do. Uh, collaborators and really important to me, so do go see Raven Spirit Dances, uh, Gathering Light. I believe it's showing the same dates as mine on the 14th through the 16th. However, it's at 5 p.m. Uh, in the uh, Woodward's uh, studio, uh, so mm-hmm. down in the atrium of that building. And um, and finally, Kelly McInnes, uh, someone I collaborated with just recently in November. She's got a work called Shiny which looks at uh, the female image as it is deconstructed by media and then re-deconstructed uh, through her work. So I'm really excited to see that one. Oh, curious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
All right. I'm really excited to see everything. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. every year Vancouver International Dance Festival surprises me very like positively. Every year I go in expecting I know this is going to be good and every year it's like, "Oh my god, this is so much better than I ever imagined it could be." Well, please tell all of your friends to join <laughs> us again this year. I know the um, the membership prices have gone up, but there's still a really affordable $5 uh, membership um, with price of membership uh, you see my show for free uh, so all the 7 p.m. shows at the roundhouse in the atrium are the free shows nice yeah. all right so definitely check that out how long is the festival running the whole month of march whole month of march yeah. a number of master classes workshops um i didn't know there's even a life drawing series so lots of uh, extracurricular events around the performances as well so we have two highly participatory festivals in March uh, to go to with a variety. We just had uh, a, um, a, 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 my stuttering almost acted up there, and I tried to head it off preemptively. It never goes well. We just had Megan Bell in here to talk about the Growing Room Festival, which is also going on cool. in March. Also includes a lot of workshops and a lot of readings, a lot of participation. So seems that the material in many ways does intersect a lot of intersectional themes there. So, yeah. I didn't plan that. This is just a very serendipitous show. Olivia, it's been a pleasure to have you. Um, and we, uh, everybody check out VIDF. Thanks very much, Jake. And uh, we'll return to you in just a moment. We're going to play a couple PSAs and a song, uh, the significance of which you will find out later. Uh, that's what we're going to do. This isn't the song. This is a promo. I just really like this promo. Discorder, that free magazine from CITR, has been documenting the best in music, arts, and culture since 1983. Let's see what one man of prestige has to say about Discorder. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Dogg, and I fucks with Discorder magazine. How about that? <laughs> Smoke eat every day. Pick up a copy around Vancouver or f*** with Discorder online at discorder.ca. It's CITR and Discorder's favorite time of year, Fun Drive. Join us at the kickoff party this Thursday, February 28th at the Hatch Art Gallery with performances by None of the Above, The Swo Merchants, and UBC Improv. You can get tickets for $5 in advance every day at noon at the station or sliding scale at the door. Plus, bring cash for amazing raffle prizes donated by UBC Players Club, the Museum of Anthropology, thecalendar.ca, and so many more campus clubs and organizations. You can check out all of this year's fun drive prizes and or donate at citr.ca slash donate.
destroy our homes. Many dead tonight it could be. Strong wind, strong, strong wind, strong wind. Many dead tonight it could be. And we are homeless, homeless, homeless. We are homeless. We are homeless. We are homeless. We are homeless. We homeless. Somebody sing, hello, hello, hello. Somebody sing, somebody cries, why, why, why? Somebody sing, somebody sing, hello, hello, hello. Somebody sing, somebody cries, why, why, why? Somebody sing, hello. He to Somebody say, he, 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 somebody 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 cries, why, why, why? Somebody somebody sing, somebody cries, why, why, why? Kuluman, Kuluman says, Man's in Jahan. Bayan, Chabula was it That, those lovely harmonies there were coming from Lady Smith Black Mombazo. Um, now, you may be wondering why we played said song uh, uh, on this show. Well, one, it's a really good song. Two, it's called Homeless and does uh, relate uh, to the themes of what we were just talking about. Thirdly, and uh, most importantly for the segment we're just about to do, Lady Smith Black Mombazo is coming to the Chan Center on Saturday, March 2nd uh, for 8 p.m. Uh, so if you enjoyed that, definitely check them out. Uh, I actually found these guys because they did a great... They uh, did a collaborate with Paul Simon to do a cover of Diamonds... His, uh, do a version of his Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes. Fun, like, really enjoyable song. Awesome harmonies. So they'll be coming around soon. And this ties into our third and final guest for the show. That is Lakshmi Sadhu, head of UBC's GenPro Collective, uh, the show Intersections, uh, which you can catch... Every other Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Correct. I knew that! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, right. My, my, <laughs> my forgetting of various uh, small but critical facts has been uh, kind of a running theme in this show. Uh, it's, it's fine. As long as you remembered my name and that's all that matters. <laughs> my first and my last name. Impressive. Good job, Thank Jake. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I'm a dog being congratulated for getting up on its hind legs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, 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 you know, not that impressive, but so rare as to have it see, be seen at all. I think it was Samuel Johnson who said that in reference to, oh, he said that in reference to women preaching. Oh, God. Well, that, okay, that, 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 that went, that was yeah. not, <laughs> you're not there. Samuel Johnson did not hold progressive views on women. Um, see, it, we, we didn't know that. We could have just. No, you <laughs> gone, gone on living lives without that information, and uh, I, I could have as well. But you know what? We would have had less uh, enjoyable lives to go on living without the poetry of Gwendolyn Brooks. Mm -hmm. So uh, recently, we ran a shout out for this on the last couple shows. The Chan Center hosted Manual Cinema's staging of No Blue Memories, which is a show about the poet Gwendolyn Brooks. She was the first Black woman to win a Pulitzer Prize for poetry. Uh, she's much anthologized. She wrote some really beautiful poems, and Manual Cinema put them to into the works with. Um, how would you describe it? What, like they were like, like you know shadow puppets. It was like shadow. Manu it's manual theatrical cinema. Yeah. Yeah. 
this really fascinating shadow puppet show, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and if you want a few pictures, our Instagram page has a few pictures of the actual show. That's right. And that's at artsreport.citr. I knew that as well. Do you guys have an Instagram page? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I need to catch up. I, I, yeah, we, it's pretty great. It's, it's awesome. It, it, it is better managed than, well, who are we kidding, the live show. Um, <laughs> and this was actually quite – now, this was a fascinating production because this is actually probably the best production I've personally seen at the Chan Center. And I've seen some pretty good shows at the Chan Center. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a brief sit. There was no intermission. And it was like, what, um, 90 minutes? About 80, I would say. Okay. Mm-hmm. It, it felt – the thing is, when you see a good show, it doesn't feel long yeah. in retrospect. For sure. Like, it's – you kind of just – you're just there, and you're like, man, I was there for two hours? What? <laughs> it's like, passes by like an eye blink, and that's the tragedy of it. Um, now, I came into this completely cold. I wasn't familiar with Gwendolyn Brooks' poetry same, at all. Same, Yeah, I had to Google her <laughs> as soon as you offered me to go see the show. Yeah. And I'm ashamed to say that because she's obviously an incredible – very talented woman. Well, it's like um, some, which is it's really interesting to me that this the the play references other mm-hmm. poets I'm familiar with, like Phyllis Wheatley mm-hmm. at one point, mm-hmm. who was the first black woman to be published as a poet, uh, and her story is actually quite uh, quite tragic. Um, uh, real, it's her most famous poem. Uh, she was deeply religious. Concerns is uh, th- is is called On Being Brought from a, to America, which was, she was brought as a slave. And she thanks her enslavers, essentially, for bringing her there because it gave her the opportunity to find God. And she, she was a very devout Baptist. And um, that contrasts with what I think is her best poem, which is called On Imagination, which is actually a really beautiful poem on the power of imagination that contrasts very shockingly with that. But she's been really badly impugned. She died very young, mm-hmm. um, very common back then. Um, just illness, and she had one book of poetry that includes on imagination, and that's the only thing that's remembered. Another poet that features in this uh, is Langston Hughes, um, who is uh, a guy who's pretty justi- justifiably revered as a great poet. And these they appear on her bookshelves a lot. Mm-hmm. Notice that they're yes. in the background; yeah. they have the names on them, um, like Wheatley. Um, Obviously, her her influences yeah. in her writing. Yeah, Lang- Langston Hughes is. I could talk a lot about Langston Hughes. <laughs> there's um, there's an interesting discourse there. I think it's really interesting because I also didn't know um, a lot about her when I started, um, when I heard about the show. Uh, it just tells a lot. Like, yes, we know, like, we probably know a lot of her contemporaries and mm-hmm. we probably know, and we know, like, the people that inspired her, but we mm-hmm. don't know about her, anything about her. And she was the first um, black woman to win mm-hmm. Um, which prize again? Pulitzer. Pulitzer. There we go. And the fact that none of us know mm-hmm. who she is just mm-hmm. speaks a lot about what information is out there mm-hmm. and like yeah. what is actually yeah. like people, what people are actually talking about. For and sure. it, this is so important. And it's not that it's anyone's fault necessarily. It's just right. something to think about. When, when did uh, Gwendolyn Brooks pass away? I believe in the 80s. Let me just quickly Google That's that. That's pretty impressive. And I have to say, one of the reasons I particularly like the show, and I thought about this a lot after we, well, I went back home. Um, 2000. That's, that's wow. pretty. Okay. Is, okay, it, it feels recent because it's the early old. 2000s, but. 83, she was 83. Yeah, yeah. And like a and lot of her. she wasn't that old either. No, like no. 83 in 2000, that's. But, but guys, here's the thing. A lot of her poetry, like, obviously navigates concepts of like identity and politics and like race relations. And the reason I liked the show so much is because you can see her kind of evolving and developing her own understanding of her own identity and like her politics uh, the politics at her time in like tandem with her poetry and I think that was like such a great kind of like parallel that the show was able to showcase and for someone who has like who had no idea about Gwendolyn Brooks like that was something I think I genuinely enjoyed about the show like watching herself like her journey yeah watching her journey in tandem with like the journey of her poetry and her art that to me was really cool because she, she lived in Chicago. Yeah. Right, for, for Chicago. Chicago. That's how you say it, Jake. Yeah, Chicago. It's like Toronto, <laughs> which is weird because you'd think Toronto would have an accent more like Detroit, but apparently not because Detroit is like that a little bit, and Toronto is more like this a little bit. <laughs> I don't know why there's a huge difference there, but apparently not. Apparently, we sound like we're from Chicago, and I just assume that means we're angry and drunk. Um, 
Um, and also possibly poet lords, yeah. Uh, th- uh, that too. That's that's <laughs> yeah. pretty great. Yeah. The thing that like they, they do ground those details though because there's. Um, with her connection to the emerging mm-hmm. black nationalist movement, there's posters in the background like Free Huey, like Free yeah. Huey Newton. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, because she's in Chicago, there's like a whole bunch of Mayor Daly mm-hmm. uh, slogans back there. And like the first time I saw this, I'm like, okay, Mayor Daly, there's a riot coming. And it turns out there <laughs> is one. There is, yeah. yeah. It's like, well, I called that one. Yeah, I can't, I don't. Yeah, I don't get that reference. I'm sorry. <laughs> is that is that what the show is usually like? Just like Jake making references and Lua being like, bro, I don't know what that means. <laughs> but at least people can like relate to me and being like I can relate to you. I'm sitting in the same room, Lua, so this is all good. What did Jake, what did you think about like um the music, the singer and kind of how they, they basically sang the poems? Great stuff. I really enjoyed that because one album I actually really liked recently is the group Tin Hat did a collection of E.E. E. Cummings poetry as songs. Mm-hmm. That reminded me a little of this because her poems don't usually rhyme, mm-hmm. but they do work ex- astonishingly well when mm-hmm. sung. Mm-hmm. There were there were two singers. Um, I'm just trying. I'm just searching for the uh, Kamaria Woods. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful, wonderful, beautiful singer. Yes, uh, she had an excellent and um, and I believe. Uh, a, and no, Anna Woods was the bass. Excuse me. Um, there's also a man who. Yes, yeah, the, the, the tall gentleman who yeah, had the yeah. provided an excellent vocal counterpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, he, um, the, I will say, the band was excellent. Mm-hmm. The uh, the drummer, which is Shalin Sh- Brown, aka mm-hmm. Red, um, in particular, had some. That's what it says in the program. <laughs> Brown, aka Red. <laughs> Shalin Brown, aka Red. So I think her, uh, the. That's his- her, sobri- her stage name? Yeah, her sobriquet is, is right, red. Right, yeah. right. Excellent groove drummer in particular. Like, there was a lot of, like, uh, there was a very... Um, um, but what do you think they were trying to achieve? I thought they were aiming for uh, a soul at jazz sound contemporaneous to mm-hmm. um, when this was set, mm-hmm. which was, there's some great tunes that come out of that, and you can... Mm-hmm really tell like the keyboardist who did that a really like really great left hand there were a lot of these awesome bass chords there and these really smooth but also tight drum loops that were in that and the, of course these excellent very um it's 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 perhaps a cheap adjective to use but soulful vocals mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. through and that was really lovely mm-hmm. uh with the poems i'm mm-hmm. I, i'm gonna see if i can find the names of the poems because there were quite a few very good ones mm-hmm. there was one that actually wasn't uh by her but about her and that was gwendolyn brooks by haki um Mahubati, mm-hmm. i believe i'm i think i'm putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable there probably um <laughs> but that was uh, also a poem about her legacy mm-hmm. which as this shows is actually quite is Quite prodigious, very impressive, more so mm-hmm. than I knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I like the combination um, of like live acting along with uh, the shadow puppets because I feel like that that allowed me to stay engaged because it could have very easily just become like a show that you're seeing on the screen, mm-hmm. right? Just like another like movie. But I, I think having like people, like, you could see people on stage, obviously acting, and then being project that being projected onto the main screen, right? That to me just kept things more interesting as opposed to just shadow puppets. One thing that I realize is that Gwendolyn Brooks and her students are usually portrayed by actors, whereas other people, uh, authority figures, the, the white people in the show mostly, are all cutouts. But this is I also that. that's no, interesting. Was that the case? It is. It's true. But there's also a lot of the other people. Like it's not just white people are cutouts. Black people are actors. There's like a lot of people are cutouts. There's a lot more cutouts than there are people acting. Mm-hmm. But when they have to do um, these moments, these really awesome, these really excellently expressed physical moments, mm-hmm. they have the people acting across from cutouts. Mm-hmm. Like, particularly in the intro, which is these two, um, two, um, uh, uh, basically the people Halsey would be having drinks with in the colors video, um, or just background people mm-hmm. in a John, John Cheever story, uh, knock on Gwendolyn Brooks' door because they want to see, uh, content warning, a Negro poetess. Mm-hmm. If there is such a thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it sounded exactly like that. Um, and then Gwendolyn Brooks is uh, portrayed by the actor standing across from these cutouts. Mm-hmm. And like, uh-huh, okay, great to meet you. It was That was, like, that was... that's a foundational contrast yeah. in the thing. I thought that was very interesting. It was. It was definitely a powerful moment. Uh, yeah, quite shocking too because I'm not I'm not used to hearing that word, um, 
being said in my presence. I was quite, I was like, whoa. Okay. Can we keep in a reel? <laughs> Did we go to quoting a show for clarity? <laughs> for clarity. If anybody wants to take that soundbite out of context, I am quoting the show. I wrote it down. I mean, well, it's fine. Jake said it. It's okay. <laughs> None of us did. Did we have a favorite poem? Um, for me, there was, um, I thought, so Eventide, which was her first published poem, I thought was really cute. Really mm-hmm. also very, like, she wrote that when she was a child. Mm-hmm. And that's really impressive. Like, very, very precocious um, poem, I thought. But... Uh, one that really struck me was the one that came uh, after it was Beverly Hills, Chicago, mm-hmm. which is a poem distinctly about differences of wealth and prosperity. And that poem has a really interesting point in it is that if you are in a very good place uh, socio- socioeconomically and because of the link between race and class in America racially in these communities that are almost entirely or probably legally at the time racially segregated mm-hmm. – your life is commensurately better to the point where you die better because there is a greater deal of attention paid to how you live your life. You have greater care throughout it, and there's a greater effort to keep you alive. And that's something that I don't, don't really think about day to day. So, in- It's something that you also try not to think about day to day. That's a good point. <laughs> Cheerful topic. <laughs> Interesting, though. Very interesting. Mm. What about you? Do you have a favorite poem? I think, I think the We Real Cool was like, yeah. it was like a fun poem and probably deceptively profound because um, she's talking about the identity of black teenagers, right? Black teenagers who don't have anyone um, who's waiting for them at home, probably, who are just, who found this community um, playing pool and, and smoking cigarettes. So I think, yeah, I, I think that was the poem that I really liked. Yep, yep, carry on. <laughs> there is there's there's things going on that require me to manage several aspects of the show at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jake said the N-word earlier, so right now there's like these random people are just walking in and they're just standing behind him. Whoa, 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 what's going on? Oh my god, they're taking Jake away. <laughs> Bye, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I guess now it's the Lua and Lakshmi show. Um, <laughs> so, guys, um, yeah. there's no Jake anymore. So, uh, you, Lua, you're going to have to pretend to be Jake. Make some obscure reference that no one understands. I can't. John Chibra <laughs> or Ch- Chibre, whatever. <laughs> I can't because I'm, I'm not smart enough for that. Oh. <laughs> hey, John Chibra wrote The Swimmer. I'm back right now. That's summoning me back. back. The Swimmer was a great movie. Burn Lancaster was an underrated actor. He, you know, he, he owned a production company and he was... He was, he was an egg that nobody cares. Um, we actually do have to do a shout-out, though, uh, which we I, I forgot to get around to because, again, the concussions. Um, that is for the um, Coastal Dance Festival, yes? Yeah, so the Coastal Dance Festival, um, the it, this was the 12th edition this year. It just ended. Um, but... And if you ha- if you weren't able to be there this year, it will be happening next year. However, we wanted to give this uh, this festival a shout out because it is a very interesting dance festival. This year, um, it focused on indigenous feminism in the era of me of, of the Me Too movement, which is really interesting. And so they do try to keep it very current, very open, um, and have as many people there to experience um, what they're showcasing. So if you missed it this year, don't worry, it will be back next year. And keep it in mind, that is the Coastal Dance Festival, formerly known as the Coastal First Nations Festival. Very cool. All right. Very interesting. That's, um, there's a lot of events that we can really tie into a theme. It's amazing the serendipity of that. Uh, It's a nice word. Yep. Can, can we talk about the lights before we before we end, if we have to end <laughs> The lights? Yeah. Well, I have to do the fun drive shout-out. Okay, do the fun okay, drive shout-out. Way more important show, than the um, So we have, uh, <laughs> for those who are listening to the last show, uh, this is something that may be familiar to you, but fun drive is coming up next week. Next week's show, you can call in live to donate, which would be awesome uh, during our show because that's really good for us. And um, You can also donate online. You can, yes. You can also donate online. Now, for the donation of uh, of th- of uh, uh, I believe it's is it is it it's 
$30? Is it $30 or $60? One of those, uh, you will get a personalized limerick. You provide the prompt. I write the limerick. It'll be awesome. It'll I'm actually, be amazing. Jake's really good at that. Thank you so much. Um, and then uh, for 101.9, that's uh, $101.90, you will get a monochrome artwork by, from our own Lua Presidio. Yeah. And <laughs> if you're feeling extremely generous or uh, if you feel like, you know, a bona fide patron of the arts, uh, you can actually get a painting from the same virtuoso for 300 big ones. Or is it 200? There's a, there's, there's a, there's a low number followed by two zeros. Um, so definitely, yeah. def- and it's commissioned. So you tell me what you want, and I'll do it for you. So yeah. <laughs> so definitely call in for that. Um, we we've we've got to taper off here. We got the medicine show coming up right after us. Um, I've been Jake Clark, Lakshmi Sadhu, and I'm Lua. And uh, cheers. I think that went well. <laughs> it- Hey, it's Prophecy Sun. Meow. You're listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM in Vancouver.